0: Welcome to the Tree of Prima podcast, a podcast about Freemasonry and esoteric tradition. I'm, I'm Pat. I'm with... Uh...
1: I'm with... I'm Jake. I'm with Jake. In addition to being Jake, I'm, you're with Jake. <laughs> I am both with and am Jake.
2: I am Jamie Paul Lamb. And, hey, can I say real quick that we... I'm Well, I, I know I speak for all of us when I say that we're very excited that we have... A new book out. Um, so Tria Prima. Um, when Jake set up the LSD. The, I was going to say LSD. the LSD. Uh, when he when he set up the now LLC. I have LSD on the mind. Because we're talking about P.D. Newman's new book. Which is um, regarding dimethyltryptamine or DMT. Which is the, the most powerful hallucinogen known to man. And he traces the lineage or the transmission of dimethyltryptamine um from um uh at least through John D. and Edward Kelly and uh the Royal Society in England and into early Freemasonry, mm-hmm. if you can believe that. So a fascinating story cool, and right. um and I was going to say, Jake said, set our uh, Trio Prima up, our LLC, as a publisher. So, because of that, we felt, hey, it's a great idea to put out some books.
1: Preemptively, I, yeah. Yeah.
2: To add a little context. So, he thought ahead. So, let's give it up for Jake.
1: <laughs> Everybody give it hey, up for me. Yeah. <laughs> great job.
2: I'm the so, reason for all this. Yeah. So, Jake did everything. <laughs> Pat and I did nothing, and, uh, and Jake um, made it so we, we were able to
1: put out some books. Which it's a great. really cool book. Where can we get it?
0: Uh, it's, it's on sale right now on, on triaprima.co. Or on Amazon. The name of the book is Angels in Vermilion by P. D. Newman. And P D is if you're if you're a, a regular reader of the blog, P D is a regular contributor. He, he's he's written a bunch of, of articles on our site, and we're just really excited that he's kind of our the first book, the author of the first book that we're putting out there.
2: Beautiful. So what what were you guys thinking? What were we talking about tonight again?
0: I think we were we were talking about doing uh, kabbalah and its intersection with
1: freemasonry yeah all right here we go yeah so one take everybody knows the rules
2: exactly yeah and just to reiterate the rules are that we don't pre-plan this stuff we literally just have a conversation um and pat is an entered apprentice still at this point because of covid you know we had to things got set back a bit um Jake is the secretary of Ascension Lodge number 89 here in Phoenix, Arizona. I am currently the senior warden, moving to the east here in uh, another month or so um, to Ascension Lodge number 89. And um, so tonight we're going to talk about, or today or whenever you're listening to this, we're going to talk about Freemasonry and Kabbalah Pat. So you being an entered apprentice, um, maybe not having as much exposure to Kabbalah, what is your kind of understanding? What does that even mean? What What do we mean when we say Kabbalah? What does that mean to you?
0: Well, to me, um, this is something I've been kind of uh, reading about on my own. Um, and I guess I I see it as... Kind of the, the the mystical side of Judaism, I guess that's the way I'm I'm interpreting it as of now, um, in an ever changing interpretation of of that. So,
2: what might that have to do with Freemasonry in your mind at the moment?
0: I'm I'm, not, I'm really not totally sure.
2: You know, I wouldn't have known how to answer that question either, even right now, but. In me asking you I thought to myself well what does it have to do And my first thought was you know how in Freemasonry we use Extra scriptural sort of narratives and personas and things like that Like the building of King Solomon's temple and some of the personas around that And some of these narratives and things um, and a lot of Old Testament stuff right Um when I think of Kabbalah, I think one of its main kind of um, applications is to unpack the esoteric meaning of the exoteric scripture. So, when when one would apply Kabbalistic methods such as Gematria, which is a numer- numerology of sorts... Um, Timura, Notericon, and these other sort of methods that are what you you would say exegetical methods, right? They're the way you approach scripture hermeneutically, interpretively. And um, since Freemasonry partakes of this kind of, um, these Old Testament narratives and personas and things like that, and we know that Kabbalah, is generally applied to the torah and the septuagint etc you know these this source judaic literature right um why would we not apply kabbalistic methods to our work as masons since it contains so much of the this old, these old testament sort of ideas and concepts and things like that so, I guess to sum that up, right? What is Kabbalah? Um, is it not like maybe at once a, and Jake, I hope you jump in here to too, like is it not one at once sort of a mystical approach to Judaism, as well as a um, an interpretive tool by which we can gain uh deeper meaning from scripture.
1: Yeah. Or even further an interpretive tool to gain more meaning from
2: license plates or whatever in the yeah, world. Sure, Right. right.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I mean, I'll say that like pre Freemasonry in my life, I saw Freemasonry as sort of an impenetrable mystical group, uh, And that's kind of how I see (laughs) Kabbalism now, or the Kabbalah now. It seems like this sort of in. The more I read source Kabbalistic stuff, um, the more I feel like I really I don't know that much. So it's uh, it's interesting in that regard that the uh, the texts have had so much commentary put out about them now which is cool cuz we get to we get to read through tons of commentary so a lot of a lot of and I so you 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 say you know to glean extra meaning from scripture or take that further license plate this or that some some groups outside of Ju- Judaism have taken that to the point that it's become its own sort of flavor of Kabbalah, right? So like Hermetic. Hermetic Kabbalah, Kabbalah or yeah. Christian Kabbalah. Mm-hmm. So it's been applied in some regards or uh, or by some groups so heavily that it's kind of become its own thing that can be studied on its own, that has its own sort of history, which is pretty cool. It's almost
2: its own methodology and its own cosmology right Right. and it's and it doesn't necessarily need to be applied to judaic source material as it initially was but it's sort of widened its scope to encompass uh christianity freemasonry and whatever we choose to apply it to You, you you know what i think is is pretty important just to set right away is like um to set this tone right away is that um, a lot of people might ask well what does that have to do with Freemasonry it, it doesn't say Kabbalah anywhere in the first three degrees it's nowhere in our ritual etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, and just to quickly offer up a couple of things about that um, of course This is an appendant body sort of thing. But if you look into the Scottish Rite and Albert Pike's work and Morals and Dogma specifically, he makes Kabbalistic references every other page, essentially. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's just so ubiquitous in his work and in the work of um, the southern jurisdiction of uh, um, not so much the northern, but the southern jurisdiction of the Scottish Rite and, of course, invitational bodies such as the, So, Rosicruciana, or the Masonic Rosicrucians. Uh, The other thing (coughs) that I think, excuse me, that I think is worth mentioning is that William Preston, um, essentially the architect, the chief architect of our ritual as we know it today, was a member of the Kabbalah Club in London. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah. So he was a Kabbalist. A member of the Kabbalah Club. Um, and uh, I know Newman, speaking of Newman and his new book, he has a paper on um, uh, Kabbalistic influence on the entered apprentice degree. Yeah, so uh, there are certainly connections to be made. So when we, on this episode, are talking about Kabbalah in the vicinity of Freemasonry... <laughs> Sorry. <coughs> In the vicinity of Freemasonry, we're not there's there is a basis upon which we're building this conversation that's not just you know cherry picking out of nowhere. Yeah,
1: if and just as an aside, if we can get that that paper, we should link it oh, under this yeah with this episode because we try to put relevant literature and whatnot. Uh, in the description, so we should try to track that down. Yeah, so hopefully, we he'll share it with uh, yeah with
0: Tree of Prima. We can put it on, yeah, just publish it on the site.
1: Yeah. So um, my first exposure to Kabbalah was was like Q Kabbal, you know, Hermetic Kabbalah, I think. So I went at it, at it historically speaking, kind of backwards, I guess. Um, again, I don't. I'm I'm like. Most unqualified individual to be talking about. and certainly no uh, expert, but from my perspective, um, and I really didn't, you know, I heard about it early on in my Masonic career, but I really didn't get into a lot of this stuff tarot, Kabbalah, uh, astrology, till late in my not, you know, till a few years ago, really. Um, and I think my first exposure in, in a book was Paul Foster case in um, Occult Fundamentals or I remember buying going on Amazon because I, I, I was in a lodge in Chandler and there was a few guys that had mentioned some of his like lineage sort of groups that still exist the BOTA meets up at the temple in Phoenix here I think they still do right I think so yeah so I heard about um, Paul case through all these guys picked up a few of his books and uh, immediately confused but really enamored um, brother Paul foster brother case. Paul Foster case He's that's right amazing um, quite enamored with all of the all of the uh, verbiage and um, this I don't know this really interesting and cool sort of metaphysical um um image that started to get like painted in my mind by these guys who were writing very uh i guess i said impenetrable earlier it's pretty deep stuff like it's not like i really understood it it was kind of like an art piece to me at first like it was i knew it was beautiful and it was really cool but really didn't understand it you know sometimes you look at a painting or something that's abstract and you know it kind of resonates with you and it's sort of beautiful to you but necessarily it doesn't quite have meaning yet maybe to you I felt like that I felt like it was sort of this beautiful piece of art which intrigued me enough to keep to keep studying and uh I guess the more I learned the more I I felt that it was both um at the same time, and again, this is this is colored by my coming into it from the Hermetic Kabbalistic sort of point of view, Kabbalah with a Q, that it was a uh, a sort of a map of of cre- creation. On, uh, uh, you know, we talked about this the other night. A map of creation, creation meaning like ongoing creation too, like the ongoing machine of, of creation and life and death and all that stuff. You're talking about not, the tree of life. Right, not... The
2: Kabbalistic tree of life.
1: Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, sort of a a, a pathway to, to a reintegration with source. So it was this interesting... Um, um, outlining Of how Source Manifests itself In 3D space or whatever You know all the way down to the material plane And then kind of how to Kind of how to I guess reverse engineer That back into Source um, In in a really Dense Way because As far as as far as i know it the i guess the zohar aside the zohar aside cuz that's a massive text but the uh, proto kabbalistic stuff there's not a lot of it's it was and um, and it was just an oral tradition and i i believe right quite quite a long time even before that
2: the sefer yetzera and the bahir
1: yeah not huge pieces of of literature you know they're relatively easy to get through you probably get through them in a couple days or whatever right uh maybe not thoroughly but um yeah i think the the more you the more you study and again there's different perspectives there's kind of the christian take or the the jewish uh take or the more uh western esoteric kind of generalized take at it um what I found is that, that it, it, it made me feel the mystery tradition more than the more pragmatic or scientific sort of alchemical or architectural sort of take by the Masons at the mystery tradition. Kabbalah was more kind of metaphysical and sp- spiritual feeling to me or a little more tugged at the heart a little more and a little less at the mind. In a in an interesting if that makes any sense, Mm -hmm. and it still kind of does to this day, I think.
0: How'd you get introduced to Kabbalah, Jamie?
2: Well, yeah, it was before I became a Freemason. So uh, reading um, Manly P. Hall,
1: secret teaching,
2: secret teachings of all ages, yeah. So he kind of dealt with it in there. Now that was, that was
0: my first introduction to it as well.
2: Yeah, you know what's weird though is that, um, so yeah, that was my introduction to Kabbalah, and really Freemasonry, and Rosicrucianism, and even Hermeticism and stuff, um, I didn't, I didn't know a whole lot before coming into my copy of, uh, Secret Teachings, but, um, I can say that, uh, looking back now at the Kabbalah in, as it is portrayed in secret teachings, I gotta say, and I hate to do this, but I gotta say that Manly P. Hall's Kabbalah is as jacked up as you're likely to find, you know, (laughs) it is so goofy, so weird. So, um, like, frankly, sort of off course, you know, it's, uh, really strange. Like, like but Manly P Hall and I don't want to really get into this too much but like he was great at like digesting some information and then just jiving you know just like talking and when he delivered all of those lectures that you hear that you could still get mp3s of or you used to get cassettes of them and things when he delivered those lectures at the Philosophical Research Society in Los Feliz Los Angeles he would sit in a chair with no notes, nothing, and he would just like, just spit <laughs> knowledge, you know, like he would just kind of like improv these entire things, right, he might have a little bit of an idea of what he was going to talk about, so if it was some Kabbalistic thing, and it's coming from Manly P. Hall, you can bet that he was just kind of riffing on some stuff, and filling in the blanks, and kind of making stuff up as he went, And that isn't... You know, and you see that in a lot of these transcripts from Manly P. Hall. I'm not dissing the guy, you know. But I am saying that the more you find out about Kabbalah... And frankly, Freemasonry... Because he wasn't even a Mason when he wrote Secret Teachings. When you find out about Kabbalah and Freemasonry... And, you know, Hermeticism and magic... Like, for example... Manly P. Hall had had an extremely puritanical view of magic, ceremonial magic, you know, he was like, um, a really strange puritanical view, you know, um, anyway, so you could tell that he was just kind of riffing off the cuff, you know, and it was transcribed maybe by somebody else later, but, um, that's my digression not to bash manly p hall again i he he did end up becoming a mason in the fifties uh, much after much later after writing his uh his his work on masonry um years after that but his, yeah his kabbalah is jacked up but um so that was my first exposure to kabbalah, to kabbalah <clears throat> and it wasn't until um um, uh, you know, deeper into my experience in Freemasonry, that, uh, that I started to poke around, um, you know, like, uh, Dion Fortune, and, you know, 20th century occultism, and stuff like that, where you've, where you'll find, you know, Golden Dawn sort of stuff, you know, where you'll find hermetic cabal. Now, there's something that I think we should address right away, is, and Jake brought this up. He talks about Kabbalah with a Q or Christian Kabbalah with a C. You know, so generally the distinction is made that when you're talking about Hermetic Kabbalah, the sort of syncretized version of Kabbalah, you're you're spelling that with a Q. Q A B A L A H. Um, when you're talking about Jewish Kabbalah. Just in the Judaic tradition, generally you will see that spelt with a K K K-A-B-B-A-L-A-H When you see it in the context of the Florentine Neoplatonists, for example Or in the Renaissance context, that you see it in Kircher Or, (coughs) sorry, (coughs) I got something in my throat When you see it in Kircher, or you see it in Pico, or you see it around the Renaissance Um, even in um, um, Agrippa and places like that it'll be in its Latinized spelling which is with a C that is C-A-B-A-L-A Kabbalah all of them are Kabbalah different manifestations different uh, spellings and they kind of have their own flavor right so the Kabbalah that William Preston would have come in contact with would have been the Latinized Kabbalah of the Florentine Neoplatonists, which is to say C A B A L A. Kabbalah with a C. And <clears throat> that is kind of um the uh what what would have been on deck in his time in the eighteenth century, right? So on the heels of people like Pico della de, de, de Mirandola, Marand, um, on the heels of people like Heinrich Cornelius Agrippa, and what and, the, and stuff.
0: What would the focus of that been? What, what how would that have? Like what? Are, what would some of those um, main ideas? Be? So
2: it would have been. There would have been two things about that, and those. Well, let's reduce it to two things. So, when you're talking about Kabbalah in general, you're talking about um, the Kabbalistic cosmology, which is best exemplified by the Tree of Life. You know, it's a glyph that has this concatenation of basically planets or or mythological archetypes that are referred to as Sephiroth, right? And they are arranged on this tree in this cosmological model, right? And it's not only cosmological, but it is also cosmogonical, because it, it, it sort of says the means by which um, existence kind of came into being, right? So there's this cosmogonical as well as a cosmological um, meaning to that glyph, the tree of life. But... Um, the other sort of pertinent side of, of Kabbalah, and I think it's the earlier side, is that it is a a method by which you can find deeper meaning in Scripture. Initially in Scripture, but of course elsewhere, you know you can watch uh, the Breakfast Club from a kabbalistic perspective and kind of glean meaning out of that you know i mean it's it's an interpretive technique right that you can apply to from a license plate like we said before to any film or book you know it's widely applicable but its initial application was by using things like gematria notericon and tamura for example what is tamura so Tamura is um if i'm if I remember correctly, it's the Kabbalah of nine Chambers. I think that's Tamura yes, the Kabbalah of nine Chambers so this is a little deep to talk about right now, but it's it's these it's a it's a a transposition of letters based on this certain nine celled chamber that you use um hard to explain right now but it's but it is a um, it's sort of a substitution cipher almost you know almost like a pig pen cipher and you can use it to you know the pig pen the regular masonic cipher so it's almost like that it's nine cells though and you could use it to get deeper meaning out of words by running it through this essentially an algorithm right or, or something this kind of cryptic program but but then notericon is um like for instance INRI is a notericon it's almost like just an a- an uh, an acronym sort of deal so by using these acronyms or by unpacking these acronyms you're able to or you can take any word for example turn it into an acronym and take its um let's let's say you took the word alpha Right. You would have an Aleph, a Lamed, a Pe and another um, Aleph. Right. So you would basically. Re-
0: letters, letters you
2: exactly. You would reduce the word into its component letters and then sort of crunch data from there. Um, and then the most common one is Gematria. So gematria is a alphanumeric system where um, preceding the Arabic numerals, you know, that we, as we know them, you know, one, two, three, four, five, whatever. Um, alphabets like the Phoenician, the Greek and the Hebrew did not have a numerical system, right? They, they used the letters of the alphabet. As signifiers for numerals as well, so aleph was one, bet was two, um, gimel was three, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, um, th- so through the so you could you could, for instance, take words out of the the Torah, take a word out of it, and each word had a numerical value. You know, so. That's what I mean about the the more exegetical component of Kabbalah. It's an interpretive method. And there are at least three that we just discussed. You know, Gematria, Notericon, and tamura. There are at least three modes by which we could use these Kabbalistic methods to glean deeper um, meaning from Scripture. You know?
1: In one way, <clears throat> taking because, like Jamie said, that's kind of the most prevalent one, the one I'm most familiar with. Not only does each word and each letter have its own numerical uh, value, but you'll see a lot of Kabbalists associate words that have the same value. Right. So you'll, that's kind of how they start to derive meaning between different things. Is by comparing separate parts of, say, you know, a scripture that might add up to the same value, or they will equate or bundle um, words together. Or let's say this: so let's say there's a sentence uh, where a few kind of important words have certain values. They'll sort of pull from other other places altogether that that share a common value to start to apply meaning to that thing outside of the context of the sentence or paragraph that it was in um so i don't i mean that's what we're saying you could do that with a you could really do that with anything right you could read through moby dick and do that Mm -hmm. in in theory um, well, take the thought... title
2: Take the title of Moby Dick. You've got Mem, Ayin, um, Bet, Yud. That's m- Moby. Let's just mm-hmm. say to put it in English transliteration, mm. to take the word Moby, you would have Mem, Ayin, Oyin or whatever, mm-hmm. um, Bet, and Yud for the Y. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you have there? For Mem, you have 40. And help me tally this. You've got 40. For Ayin. you have uh, 70. For um, Bet, you have 2. And for Yud, you have 10. So that's 82. 122. 40, 122. Yeah. So the gematric value of the transliteration of the word Moby is 122. You know? So, that is to say, other words that have a value of 122 can be said to have an occult sympathy with right. the word Moby. Yeah. You
1: know. Yeah, and you could do that with an entire sentence in theory, or more. Or more, and I'm sure many people have. I thought there was a. Um, so maybe there's something else outside of, uh, what's it called, Tamora? Yeah. I thought that one was the expansion of words into sentences and that there was another that was kind of the reverse of that.
2: I thought those were both notericon. No, I it's could be both
1: wrong. notericon? Okay.
2: Yeah, so when you take an acronym... Well, like,
1: like with the, the 72... Um, lettered name. Lettered, lettered would, name. Yeah. That was no right? That I think that so. led to that?
2: I think you could say that, yeah. Mm. Yeah, so that is the um it's in Exodus. There is Yeah, I couldn't I could During tell the you. parting of the it's in the sequence during the parting of the Red Sea. When Moses parts the Red Sea there is reference to the seventy two lettered name of God, right? Um and it's a kabbalistic kind of formula. It winds up in a, in it, a. Doesn't book. each
1: line have like the same value or something like that? There's, that?
2: I don't remember exactly okay. what, but I know it ends up in the Sefer Raziel, is where you read about that particularly. Okay. There's the Sefer Raziel deals specifically with that sequence, the Red Sea sequence, and. In Exodus oh which is a great point bringing it back to Freemasonry is that again we're talking about a sequence in um Judaic uh, sacred literature right and it's Kabbalistic meaning or it's uh, or it's or a Kabbalistic vantage point from which to look at the material right so in Freemasonry again we um we kind of partake of some of these narratives and personas, right? So, it makes sense from a certain perspective to apply a Kabbalistic exegesis or sacred interpretation to the material because it's coming from the same place where we initially applied Kabbalah Kabbalistic methodology to begin with, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Well, <laughs> let me see if I could say that one more time. One more time. In Freemasonry, we use words, um, uh, narratives, people, and various elements that we find in particularly the Old Testament, right? So I, now I understand. So we partake of a lot of that stuff for the fodder of our work uh, if I could put it so kind of bluntly like that right uh, We partake of that to kind of um, in the in our work right So Kabbalah, Being an exegetical method has been applied to Judaic scripture throughout its its time, right? I mean, that's what it was built for, basically, as a system. So why would we not use that same exegetical method and apply it to the work that we do in Freemasonry because it's coming from the same Same corpus? Yeah. You know... Yeah. So it's uniquely fitting for us. It's not something like, oh, hey, let's talk about Freemasonry, you know, vis a vis professional wrestling or something like that. It's not this disjointed thing. Let's not, t- let's talk about Freemasonry as to how it pertains to, um, you know, the maintenance of a motor vehicle. You know, that's not, that's, that's, that's incongruent. But it is not incongruent to say, "Hey, let's talk about this work in Freemasonry um, through the lens of uh, sure. Kabbalistic exegesis," yeah. because it it actually applies.
1: Yeah, and, and we're given like ultra specific in some points bits of you know that apply to each degree bits of um, uh, of the Bible that per- per- pertain to each each degree or that we open the Bible to during each degree so I mean that there's even good starting points that are pretty clearly laid out for us if you wanted to I guess jump into some of that mm-hmm. so um, Kabbalah and the, the Tree of Life specifically have also become uh, and you mentioned the syncretized hermetic Kabbalah It's become a great filing cabinet for associations. So, you know, as all these uh, traditions have added to and pulled from Kabbalistic theory, I guess, uh, they've just continually added to this uh, tree-of-life filing cabinet that kind of contains on each of its constituent parts a bunch of generally accepted uh, associations which is nice and tidy and makes memorizing that stuff kind of nice and easy and it's also become a great way to uh initiate someone in a uh What's the word I'm looking for? In a progressive sort of way. It's also like it's great a... great ros- to unfold yeah. information to someone in a progressive way.
2: Mm-hmm. And it's like a Rosetta Stone, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, and he- here's what I mean by that. Is, um, let's say you were interested in tarot and astrology. Or tarot, astrology... And um, classical mythology, you know, or comparative mythology. You could use the Tree of Life as a sort of, um, because of the correspondences on the Tree of Life. And when I say the Tree of Life, I'm talking about 10 Sephiroth and, um, and, uh, what? 22, 22 Netivot. These are the paths between the Sephirot. So there are 22 paths and 10 emanations, right? Which is what Sephirot means. Um, And they're on this glyph, right? And each, let's take those 10 Sephirot, for example. Those correspond um, to uh, the PIP cards of the tarot, you know, like. Every ace corresponds to Kether. Um, every, like, five, let's say. You know, five of clubs, five of diamonds, whatever. Um, every five corresponds to Gibura, you know. Um, a certain Sephiroth. Uh, or Sephira, the singular. So, and the, and the paths also correspond those 22 paths correspond to the 22 cards of the major arcana of the tarot. Each of them have a corresponding path, right?
1: And um, letter of the Hebrew alphabet.
2: And letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Now, and also a um, corresponding zodiacal sign. And each of the sephiroth have a corresponding planet, you know, like for instance. Um, Most it, of them yeah netzach is well let's run through them so malkuth is the earth yesod is the moon hod is mercury netzach is venus Tifereth is the sun geburah is mars hesed is jupiter Binah is saturn Hokmah is the sphere of the fixed stars and zodiac and then you get to kether which is just like this um I guess you could look at it as sort of the Ennead or the, the sort of primum mobile, uh, what they would call it in the Neoplatonic model. So there's there's a planetary correspondence. And because of that, there's a mythological correspondence. You know, like you think of Venus, then you're definitely talking about Aphrodite. And you're talking about Ishtar. And you're talking about Inanna, you know, you're talking about all the Venusian Lucifer, archetypes. Lucifer. And Lucifer because of, the, you know, the the morning star, the evening star of Venus, right? Lucifer, Hesperos, etc. cetera.
0: It, it seems like this is something you can just keep diving deeper and deeper and deeper. Where, where do you suggest people go to start? I mean, where's the, the first couple steps that you, you can take?
2: God, I, I would want to say the Sefer Yetzirah by itself. Not even... I would have... No preface? No, like... No, I would have, like, maybe two years ago, I would have said Dion Fortune or Paul Foster Case or one of the usual suspects that in Western occultism that we talk about. But anymore, I seriously would direct people mm-hmm. to proto-Kabbalistic source literature like the Sefer Yetzirah.
1: Yeah, when you read, like, the commentary on some of the best translations Yeah, they basically say start here, read all the way through without mm-hmm. you know they all kind of say like don't stop don't pause, just read through don't even like think about it before you try to break this apart yeah. you know, analyze and get methodical with it just like just read this text, yeah, with it and let it meet you on its, or you meet it on its terms. That's
2: experiential, right? And yeah. it's the, and that's the, that's Freemasonry as well. Do you read Duncan's ritual before you take the degrees? Hopefully not. Yeah, that's
1: that's a good point.
2: You in fact just go in and you have a, you have a visceral, unmediated experience with the material. Yeah, and and I'm I'm finding that. Kabbalah is the same sort of thing. Like, like to learn about that, you 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 approach it, you apprehend it on its own terms. You know that yeah. is to say, in situ, yeah. in the source material. All of
1: the associates So if you, that's true. I mean, I could see how if you were fresh into this and you just picked up Hermetic Dion Fortune's uh, mystical her, Kabbalah. mystical Kabbalah. It's so out of context because you're just flipping through associations, essentially, and that some she has and made. commentary that she's put together. Now they are the generally accepted ones, but still, well, it's like I said earlier. Before I got into Freemasonry, it seemed like this impenetrable thing, but then the, the ritual gave me all that context for all the things that I'd heard of or the associations that I had been told to like fit in, into and onto. Mm-hmm. so in the same way i see what you're saying and i i agree that actually the associations and all that you know all the stuff in those filing cabinets really are f- are have nowhere to go mm-hmm. without some foundational um experience with the sephir yetzerahs you know what he like means that. by
2: filing cabinet when he says that the Kabbal, the Tree of Life, as a filing cabinet. It's
1: just a great storehouse for each of its parts. You know the Seph, the sephirot and those pathways, like we just laid out, have become this excellent way to store associations, to, to st-
2: organize correspondences. Right. Hmm. Okay.
1: So, um, so that's what I mean by that. But uh, yeah, totally. Now I wouldn't like jump into the Zohar. Because you could read that for the rest of your life. Right. But, yeah, proto kabbalistic stuff, for sure. Bust mm-hmm. through some of that. But what would you suggest maybe after that? You Who's, know, whose commentary would you start with? Okay, so, well... Because that's, that's kind of, I think, more what we want to know. That, I
2: definitely have an answer for that right. that I feel 100% about. And that is... Samuel Little McGregor Mathers' um, introduction to Kabbalah de Nudada. So Rosenroth um, did a Latin translation of select books from the Zohar. And Samuel Little McGregor Mathers, who was a Freemason and a Rosicrucian and a member of a founding Founder. member of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. He, in London in 1887, right? Um, he, at some point in the 1880s, translated Rosenroth's Latin translation of the select books from the Zohar. And this was, Zohar's book was called Kabbalah Denudata. Denudata meaning unveiled, denuded. You know, okay. so like, so the the Mather's English translation was Kabbalah Unveiled, unnuded, you know. Um, so Kabbalah Unveiled has an introduction that I believe is the um pinnacle of like, and it goes through all those exegetical methods, it's not complicated, it's a f- Completely approachable introduction. He goes from start to finish, and it's really if you. I would say if you're going to read one thing that is not source kabbalistic material or proto kabbalistic material, I would go straight to Mather's introduction on Kabbalah de Nudata. The other one I would go to is um, uh, Crowley's essay on Kabbalah in that usually accompanies. 777 so when you get 777 which is a popular book of hermetic correspondences etc uh, that Aleister Crowley a, a 20th century um, British occultist he put together this book of correspondences and there's an essay that's included in 777 I forget exactly what it's called but it is also a very thorough Introduction to Hermetic Kabbalah That I think is invaluable So either one of those two If you're not going to read Source Kabbalistic material I would go straight to Mather's um, Introduction to Kabbalah denudata, Or I would go to Alistair Crowley's essay Whose title escapes me But it's in 777 which mm-hmm. is an easily Obtainable book
0: and we will link to all of these in the show notes and on the, on the website. So yeah. you don't have to go look too far for it.
1: I'll also say that um, for uh, – to d- defend uh, Paul Case a bit, I haven't found a, really anybody else yet that has provided as much uh, gematria uh, or has analyzed as much gematria as that guy. He, yeah his work's great pretty pretty incredible how much yeah. he he poured into that aspect of kabbalah mm-hmm. all the connections he's made so that stuff too if you're interested in the kind of the mechanics or the um some of this associations between i mean he goes over lots of stuff but
2: and to tie it back to masonry Paul Foster Case, a Freemason Uh, Samuel Little McGregor Mathers, a
1: Freemason Yeah, almost everyone we've talked about
2: and Crowley
1: was at
2: least an irregular Mason but there's now here's just a little digression there's a reason to, and I can't spell out this argument right now, but there is an argument to be made that Crowley, as to Crowley's regularity in Freemasonry so there there is a claim to that um that again i can't spell it out right now but somebody should look into that because uh it's come into question though he was made a mason at some point clandestinely there's there's in fact a claim that to his regularity as well Mm. um and um maybe i'll find that and i'll try and link it to this also
1: in england or somewhere I think else.
2: so He did some stuff in Mexico So he did mm. some high degree stuff in Mexico That's that You know that picture that you see of him Where he's wearing this mishmash Of yep. like York exactly. and Scottish Rite stuff yep. Where I know it's just exactly like Give me talking. every Masonic thing that you have <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to put it on right now And you take my picture That's kind of what <laughs> yeah. it looks like um, It's stuff like nobody would wear All at once Because it's so out of context But uh, that was his Mexico adventure, from what I understand. Anyway, so, yes, Masons have had an interest in Kabbalah um, since Preston. Which is to say the beginning, you know, the beginning of... At least. At least Preston. So, the beginning of really just known speculative Masonry, like um, early 18th century.
1: So. what else pat um, i think that pretty this much. is a hard this is mm. a hard topic yeah this is a it can go down a bunch of roads um
0: this is definitely one that we're gonna have to part two yeah, yeah kind of well or or start to uh kind of chapter out where we're like we do a an episode on gematria and we do an episode on the tree of life right. doing you know i think they're all you know they're all all those are but that's worth, a good broad overview. Uh, it's right? definitely a good broad overview. It's, it's definitely got me curious, and um, I'm going to check out some of those books you mentioned.
1: That's almost kind of what we, we've done with each episode so far. We've chosen these really big topics, and we could expand so much on any of them if we wanted to get right specific and i'm sure that's what we're going to end up having to do.
2: Oh, i'm sure judging by some of the other groups we meet in, i'm sure we could take anything as simple as the the hebrew letter hey, for right. example, and probably make an hour out of that. You know, just yeah. talking about that one letter and its correspondences and you know, it's uh, i don't want to get into it right now, but i'm sure we i my wheels are already spinning <laughs> on that. is what i'm saying. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so I would say... Um, where are we at, time Are we good? Oh, yeah, we're good. We, we're good. we good? I mean, I would say that, um, that uh, it is a valuable thing to delve into as a mason. I think it would add to your experience in masonry if you at least checked it out. Maybe if you read some of that proto-Cabalistic material like Jamie suggested, start at the source and just see how... Uh, See how it uh, maybe emerges in your Masonic experience. If any of the the interesting literature that's been translated down to us by brothers um, finds its way uh, in a a meaningful way into your Masonic experience, I bet it would. Mm
0: -hmm. All right. Well, I think that that wraps up episode, um, I think, number seven number seven so nice job guys
2: seven zayin S- z- seven is the geometric value of the hebrew letter zayin oh so this is the sword
0: the sword the all sword. right
1: yeah. real time kabbalah <laughs> real time kabbalah by jamie lamb bam <laughs> all right all right we'll see you guys Bye. in the next one